We are going to uh, spend the next few months looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, I just want to introduce that series to you, explain to you why we're doing it, give you a bit of context. And then Nathaniel's going to come and give us the first uh, talk in the series. So why Philippians? Well, very simply, it's just a great book. It's really, really good. It is a letter full of the truth about God. It's full of joy. And it vividly uh, shows us what Christianity can be like. So whether you're a Christian and you're, just, you're wanting to be inspired afresh about God and his ways, or again, you're visiting us, you just thought, maybe I'm going to check this out in the new year, this is the best way for you to find out who God is, what he's like, and what his people are to be like uh, by joining us as we look at this letter. The Philippians were a healthy church in a great city. And uh, we kind of thought about that and thought about us and thought, you know what, we're a pretty healthy church and this is a pretty great city too. So there's a nice match there. And uh, it's just helpful to look at people in similar situations to you, learn from them and learn what God wanted to say to them through Paul. And so we're going to be looking in quite some detail about the stuff that he said to them. He challenges them not to settle. Not to get fixated on the things of this life, uh, but to look uh, for the life to come. And he always points them towards Jesus, and he shows how wonderful Jesus is throughout the letter. And these are all wonderful things for us to get hold of, even if you're already going for God and full of joy and excited about the future, this will stir you again. And if you're not, this will challenge you and help you uh, to get in line with that. We're calling this series Nothing Less uh, because that really encapsulates Paul's attitude towards God and his people. Each preach uh, will be called Total uh, something. So today it's Total Unity because uh, it's just Christianity isn't one of those 80% or 50% or 90% or even 99.9% things. It's 100%. And we want to look at that this term. It's obviously the start of a new year. Maybe you want to know and love God uh, more. You want to follow Jesus more faithfully. As Mary so helpfully reminded us, God's love towards us doesn't depend on those things. But our appreciation of it and of him uh, is just transformed when we get hold of his truth and we learn to live in it. And we think this letter is really going to help us to do that. So that's why we're doing this series. I hope it's really going to bless you. Just to give a bit of context so you know what's going on. Um, the story of the beginning of the Philippian church is told in Acts 16. You can read about it for yourself later on. Uh, Paul was on his second great uh, journey uh, to proclaim the good news about Jesus and plant churches. And he was in what we now call Turkey, uh, what they called Asia. And um, he was basically, he was a bit stuck. He was trying to move there, move there. And the text just says the Holy Spirit just kept stopping him. And they thought, what are we going to do? And then one night, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia. Macedonia is in southern Europe, uh, next door to Greece. And in this vision, he's begging Paul. He says, please come and help us. And so Paul wakes up and thinks, that's what we've got to do. We've got to go to Macedonia. And so immediately, him and his team set off for Philippi, which is the main city in that area. And uh, they start preaching the gospel. That's what they always do. People get saved. That's what they always do. And then they get in trouble. And that's pretty much what always happens. Uh, Paul sees a slave girl who is being used as a fortune teller. Uh, he uh, heals her of uh, a debilitating um, uh, demon that was uh, attacking her. And she stops being able to tell people's fortunes. And her owners are obviously not very happy about that, so they throw Paul in prison. And uh, uh, Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're singing at midnight, worshipping God, and then an earthquake comes that breaks open the prison. 
Uh, they don't run off because they're so confident in God. And they uh, witness to the jailer and they say, this is what Jesus does. The jailer becomes a Christian or his family become a Christian. Then the whole city realizes what's happened. And Paul and the others are vindicated before God. And then they move on to the next place, having encouraged the church there. And they had planted a church that really knew and loved Paul. And they continued to have a good relationship. And so over a decade later, when he was once again a prisoner, uh, this time he's under house arrest in Rome. One, uh, they sent a gift to Paul via one of their congregation, a guy called Epaphroditus. And Paul was just so happy uh, that they were thinking of him and so blessed that they had uh, helped him that he wrote them this letter back. And so it's kind of a thank you letter, but it's also a, an encouragement and a stirring to continue uh, to live for God. And that's what we want you uh, to do. And that's what we want to be doing as a church and for all of Scotland to experience as well. So... That's why our new series is called Nothing Less, and Nathaniel is going to get us started, so let's welcome him. Hello, everybody. It is um, a real privilege to be starting this series, and um, for those of you who were here last time uh, and heard my preach in summer, uh, you'll know that I started with a picture of my nephews, but unfortunately, my mum said that uh, that would be a little tired if I was to do that again this time, a little cheap, perhaps. I mean, she was right, of course. Um, but there you go. Uh, you know, there's a new nephew this time at least. So now you're all uh, know a little bit more about my family. And this was actually, I, I also put this up there to just give you an idea of what my Christmas was like. I had a wonderful time at home. Um, and it's just really nice to spend some time with the family. But do you know what? I was excited to be back here. Um, I was really looking forward to coming back and seeing what God was going to do in the church in uh, 2016. And Paul says in his letter, you know, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And I, I kind of feel the same way about Kings, you know. Every time I remembered it or every time my family asked me about how Kings was going, I just felt such warmth and affection. And I kind of want to convey some of Paul's warmth and affection for the Philippian church to you guys as Kings. And also what I'll be talking about is the church as a whole. Um, I'm not just talking about Kings, but... Um, Obviously, King's is my primary experience of church, so a lot of my examples are going to come from that. And that's, you know, uh, here is where my heart is. So this is, you know, as Luke just said, a mostly positive, upbeat, upbeat celebratory book. It's a, it's a call to rejoice. And if you're here and you've never been to church before, then what I hope to do today is just explain a bit about why, why church is great, why we are all excited to come here, why we all turn up every week why there are loads of people serving and getting involved. Um, you know, there's a lot of negative press about the church, as a, not kings, at least I hope not, um, but <laughs> the church as a whole. Um, and actually, I just want to rectify that and just celebrate the church as, as being God's plan for this earth and as being uh, a good and great thing. So let's get stuck straight into the passage, which is Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this is just the opening of the letter. Um, It's quite a standard structure for letters around this time. You've got from, to, greetings, and then an outlining of themes. It's almost like one of those essays that many of you will have written at university where the only way you can start it is, this essay will look at, and you feel a, your soul dies a little as you write that. But it's, it's, it's one of those structures. And you would have read them in many, many, public, uh, many, many letters that were around at this time. But what Paul does is he, he doesn't waste a single word. He infuses every part of this structure with the gospel, with, with Jesus. And he turns what could have been quite just some dry introductory notes, here's what I'm going to be talking about, into this passage that's rich with theology, that's rich with good news about um, Jesus and what he's done for us. I mean, if you go back to um, the, the second verse, just his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In a, in a sense, that one sentence is the gospel, grace and peace from Jesus Christ and God. And you can spend a whole study just on that one passage and everything that grace and peace means. And this whole section is just full of good stuff like that. And through this passage, we see him celebrating this church in Philippi. As I mentioned, this is a thank you letter. And what we can do from that is we can learn about what he's thankful for and then try and apply that to our church. We can work out why he was thankful, what it is that he's celebrating about the Philippian church. So I picked out five ways I think that church should be united. Um, and do you know what? I think as King's Church, some of these were doing really well, some of these five things. But we should always seek more. We're uh, not the finished product by any means. And so just, um, yeah, I just want us to think about these things as we go into the new year. And, you know, Paul starts with uh, Thanksgiving and rejoicing and prayer for more. And I think that's actually just a great way for us to start the year as well. So the first kind of unity that I see in the church here is unity through community. Um, The first verses say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. And immediately, just from this introduction, we see that this is a community, not a hierarchy. For starts, Paul and Timothy introduce themselves as servants of Christ Jesus, not the person who's writing the majority of the New Testament, not the person who's planted churches around most of the known world. Servants of Christ Jesus. Contrast that introduction to, I don't know, the way Donald Trump would enter a room. Like when he announced his presidency, he came down a lift with everybody cheering and whooping to some obnoxious music. (laughs) This was why I decided against entrance music for my sermon today. (laughs) Um, 
they're, they're, they're starting this letter as saying, we're servants of Christ Jesus. And then he addresses it to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Not to the leaders of the church in Philippi and, and then um, everybody else, I suppose. It's to all the saints, and that includes the overseers and deacons. And immediately, overseers is um, another word for elders, I suppose would be the quick way of explaining that. Um, and he, he's saying, just, even just in the way he structures this sentence, he's saying, this is for all of you. I, I'm addressing you as a community. Your leaders aren't above you. Um, and in fact, in fact they're, they're just other roles. They're just roles within this community to make the community happen. Um, in 1 Peter 5, leaders are told not to lord it over those entrusted to them. And actually, we are very blessed in this church with elders who um, Alex recently described as not being like film stars. Um, <laughs> that, was, uh, that is two of our elders singing um, a song that pokes fun at the third. So <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of church where um, actually, you know, it's, it's fun to make jokes about our elders, particularly Dan, um, but, but actually it is a real, real blessing that they've taken this commission to heart to not lord, they, they never lord authority over us, they never say, you know, I'm the elder, listen to me. Um, and actually I think this is a leadership model that applies to everything outside of church as well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I had a wonderful time with my family over Christmas, and it actually occurred to me that my family is, you know, any semblance of unity in my family, and, you know, we did have a great time together. That's because my parents modeled this form of leadership. They led the family in this way, um, as servants, first of all. Um, so think about where you lead and how you can lead as a servant. And then there's this slightly strange, if we could go actually back to the slide before about the, so we can get them off screen, yep. Um, uh, <laughs> it, goes, it goes, there's this strange passage at the end where it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Now that's a really grammatically weird sentence, and I read, I think there was a solid three or four pages in a commentary that tried to explain why this was grammatically weird. What I, I didn't really understand, but what I got from it is there is a triple amount of thanksgiving here. He's saying, um, I pray for you always, always with thanksgiving and for all of you. Um, and I, I think with Paul, we can sort of trust that. We can gather from his writing that this is a man who prays ceaselessly. And he says that in all his prayers, he's thankful for them. Now, we see later on in this passage, uh, there's a prayer of petition as well. And then in the rest of Philippians, there's some doctrine and theology and instruction. But he opens with thanksgiving. And it seems that he, he does that in his prayer life as well. He opens with thanksgiving all the time. And so... Um, I think we should uh, sort of reflect that in our prayer lives as well. Do we pray regularly for kings? And if we do, do our prayers always start with thanksgiving? And that's, that's what builds community, this, this, this prayer for the church, this, um, 
this fact that we are a community, not a hierarchy. The second kind of unity that I see Paul praising here is unity on mission. So we have total unity in community, total unity in mission. And then in this passage it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that's why he's thankful for them. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It seems here that the church in Philippi has been a relentless partner in the gospel um, from the first day until now, it says. Part of that was a financial gift. Um, they sent him some money and they sent him a, uh, this person, Epaphroditus, as well, to be with him in prison. But, um, and, and, you know, they would pray for him. He's, they've shown very visible, tangible care for um, Paul while he's in prison. And, you know, actually, we, we do do that as a church. Uh, we support missionary societies. We support evangelists. Um, because, do you know what? Not all of us can tour the country and see dozens saved every weekend and during the week as well. And so this is actually a really good way of supporting people. Um, I think Paul would cheer it on and be like, good on you guys. But there's more to it than that as well. I don't think Paul is talking about partnership in the gospel as just being a financial gift. Um, he talks about them being defenders and confirmers of the gospel. People who uh, travel around a lot and um, evangelize, they have wonderful ministries, but their calling is not to Edinburgh. Our calling is to Edinburgh. And the way we support uh, people, or, or, or our apostles as well, who, who you know, go around the country the whole time. Dave's been up here a few times. How do we support Dave Holden in his ministry of starting churches and establishing them and um, pushing people onto mission? We do the mission in the here and now. We uh, reach our city. We reach our Philippi, which in this case is Edinburgh. When we have people come to visit, um, people like Adrian Holloway, who I believe is coming on the 31st of January, who their gift is they're really good speakers and they present the gospel in, in a new way that people can engage with. But Adrian, as I say, is not called to Edinburgh. So how do we support him? We do the legwork. We're here, here and now. Like our church is called to mission. Mission is, uh, it, that's a responsibility but it's also our calling, it's our reason for being here, is being a community that is united in mission to this city, to Brunsfield specifically and the surrounding area, but to Edinburgh as a whole. We are called to reach it, to do mission. And, you know, that's, that's what Stories of Hope is about, that's what Alpha is about. And I think there's always more we can do in this. Um, it's implied... Uh, in a later passage where it says uh, you're partners with me in my imprisonment, that actually the Philippians suffered as well. Partnership in the gospel often means sacrifice. But it is, it is the reason we are here as a church. And there's this, there's, this then there's this verse that says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk a bit more about the now and not yet of salvation in another sermon, 
when we reach that famous passage about working out your, fear and, your salvation with fear and trembling. So this completing a good work is an element of our salvation, of God continuing to work in us. He doesn't just save us and then leave us to it. He's working in us all the time. So as I say, we'll hear more about that. But what I find interesting here in this context is that he's talking about their partnership in the gospel. And then he says, he talks about God working, doing a good work in us. He's not talking there about doing a good work through us. And it almost suggests to me that the work that God does in us is actually more important than the work he does through us because then the work God does through us comes out of the work he's doing in us. If you're following, God is continuing to improve us. He's continuing to reveal to us what our salvation looks like. What does salvation mean for us? What does the incredible things that Jesus achieved on the cross mean for our everyday life? And that is a daily process. We are daily being transformed. And then from that, we can then partner in the gospel. Mission isn't cheering talented people on from the sidelines. It's a united effort, and we all have a part to play. The third kind of unity I picked up on here is unity in grace. People bond over shared experiences. Um, If you've met someone new recently, chances are your opening kind of line will be working out what you have in common. That's what I always try. You know, what did you study? Where are you from? That kind of thing. And then say, oh, yeah, here's what I know about that place um, or that thing. I I once met a neuroscientist from Bolton, and I was a little lost. But aside from that, (laughs) that's generally the angle I go for. And, And then that kind of thing is increased when you feel like Um, when it's something you're really passionate about and not many people might know about. I wrote my dissertation at university on an author called Willa Cather. Um, Nobody's heard of her. But when I meet someone who's read Willa Cather books, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've read Willa Cather books. Let's talk about the use of landscape in my Antonia. And then we have like an hour-long conversation about Willa Cather. And it's exciting because you you have this shared thing and it feels like you're part of a secret club. You're like, oh... You've read Willa Cather too. Um, it's great. I imagine it feels much the same way if you're a Man City fan. You could go for years and never meet another. <laughs> but you know, the most important thing about me is not the bands I listen to, or the films I watch, or the books I read. It's actually the forgiveness of Christ and the transforming power of His Spirit in me. And I share that bond with every other Christian. Paul talks about this shared grace. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Grace unites us. You can meet a Christian today who you've never encountered before and you immediately have the most important thing about your life in common with that person. And, you know, this, this expresses itself in unity. Um, take a look at my friend Dara, for instance, who came and did notices earlier. There's a picture <laughs> of Dara and I. Um, we led a small group together. Um, but we didn't know each other when we 
when we were said, oh, would you guys lead a small group? And actually, when we met, it turns out we don't have much in common at all. She's from the south, I'm from the north. Um, she uh, does medicine, so it's useful. I study English literature and history, so I'm not. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, I am obsessed with films. Dara couldn't really care less. I mean, we worked out quite late on that we both like classical music, but that's about it. But we had this one thing, this calling to uh, lead a small group here in this church, and we were united by grace. And actually, through that, we were able to uh, lead the small group together for a whole year. We became really good friends. And, and that's nothing to do with being part of any club or society. It's because of what Jesus has done in our lives. The same grace that saved Dara is the same grace that saved me. Um, for Dara's sake, let's go back to the Bible passage. <laughs> uh, a lot of the time, we might emphasize that Christians are no different to anyone else. And to a large extent, that's true. You know, uh, there's nothing inherently better about Christians than people outside of Christianity. Um, everybody universally needs God. What I would say, though, is that we have something that nobody else does and nobody else really understands. This grace, this forgiveness is phenomenal. And perhaps you're here today and you've not heard about it before and you don't understand. I'm going to explain a bit about it later on. But, but actually, I think it's okay to... To, to honor the work that God is doing in us and, and celebrate that and celebrate this unity that we have. I think that's a good thing and I think that's what Paul's doing here. We are called to love everyone, but there is a, a familial bond between Christians. We are part of the same family and there is this bond of being together on mission. It should change our perspective of meeting another Christian. And this isn't to boast, because we're not saying that it's because of anything we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. But it should change our perspective when we meet another Christian. It's um, the same grace that saved me, saved you. You've experienced that too. You're being transformed daily too. It's not an exclusive club, because we were all outside at once as well. But it's one that welcomes everybody in. And when you're in, you're welcomed in to this inclusive, diverse, lively, passionate group of people. And this will be fully realized in the new creation when we will all be united because of this grace, because of this forgiveness. And the same grace that saved me and saved you is the grace that saved Paul. So Paul will be there as well. And we can meet him and be like, man, your writing was great. It helped me through everything. The same grace that saved us saved Martin Luther. And we can be like, wow, you changed the world. All people who have been saved by grace will one day be united. And that is just this phenomenal thing. And, and this one thing that is a stronger bind than anything else. And the result of that is the fourth kind of unity that I picked up on, which is total unity in love. At this point in the passage, Paul's prayer changes from being a prayer of thanksgiving to a prayer of petition, as in he's praying for them. 
Um, but the topic actually stays the same. He's just thanking them and then saying, praying for more. And that topic is the centrality of Christ and the outworking of that in our lives. So he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Uh, we use that word abound a lot, and it, it just means to have lots of abundance. You know, It's the same word. And so Paul's prayer is that the church would have lots of love. And that's um, the prayer for all Christians everywhere, and that's what church is for. Love is not a sentiment. It is a choice, and often an action, which Paul saw expressed in the way that they were relentlessly supporting him. We know what love looks like because there's that passage that gets read out at every wedding from 1 Corinthians 13. We know that it's patient, it's kind, it's truthful, it's hopeful, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, and it's not envious. And that's what church should look like. This isn't easy or obvious. We're not, we're not sort of, it's not a default setting for us because that's why we have to pray for it. We have to pray for more love, to see it more. This, this doesn't come naturally to any of us. We need the spirit in us to outwork the love of God. And that's why it says, you know, with knowledge and all discernment, because, because it, it's something you have to wrestle with and, and fight for and ask for more love. And I said the phrase at the beginning that the church is God's plan for the earth. And this is why. It's because God's love is perfect and we are the expression of that love on earth. God's love is there from before humans were even created. God is three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they exist in this cycle of love. This three-part God is love. And then there's also the love that God has for us, which is why he created us. It's an all-encompassing, phenomenal love. And... And we are called to be the expression of that love here in Edinburgh. I'd actually, I actually want to commend King's Church for what I see as a community that does abound in love. And I pray that it would abound more and more in love. For me, the last two years haven't been the easiest. My sufferings aren't a patch on Paul's, but they haven't been easy. I've, there's been a lot of confusion, a lot of not really knowing where I'm going. For quite a long time, I had um, back problems and uh, sort of financial anxiety, all of which compounded to just me being, um, it, it was just a very difficult time for me. And all I found from this church community was the love of Christ enacted through you. People would open their houses to me and just unquestioningly have me around and just be patient and listen people would ask me how I was doing, but not just how are you. They would know what had been going on in my life. They would ask the specifics. They showed care and attention to detail in every conversation with me. Somebody, at one point, just anonymously slipped a banknote into my coat pocket. And that is the kind of generosity that seeks absolutely no reward, because I still don't know who it is. And yet it's just, this, it's just a community that is 
defined and shaped by love. And I love that I am in a church that is like that. And I know that I'm not the only one as well, which just fills me with such joy. I know that I'm not the only one who's been through hard times and has found love in this way. And, you know, church is actually a place where you can be vulnerable and we carry each other. And that's what unity and love looks like to me. Finally, we are totally united in Christ. All of this unity is made possible in Christ. Paul ends by saying that this abounding in love is so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this is just ending his opening statement. We've got so much to look forward to in the rest of the book. This is just the introduction. And what he's done is he said, these are the key themes of what I'm writing to you about. And in the middle of all of that is Christ. Look at all the references to Christ that we see in this passage. We see servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is central to everything. And all of the other kinds of unity that I've been talking about, of this loving, missional community that is only made possible through the work of Christ Jesus. We are called in this passage to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is a high calling, and we are incapable of it. We cannot be pure and blameless in our own strength, which is why it ends the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, while we are called to be excellent, pure, and blameless, the most excellent, the most pure, and the most blameless person who ever lived was Jesus. And do you know what? Unity isn't easy. Our default setting as sinful humans is selfishness. And selfishness is the enemy of unity. We're, we look out for our self-interests um, and living for others and living for God is something that we have to choose to do and work at and pray for. We are sinful humans, but the one person who never experienced one bit of selfishness was Jesus. The only person who lived his whole life fully for something other than himself. And he died taking on the punishment for our selfishness. Because of that, the punishment is no longer on us because he took it. And then he defeated death. And so by defeating death and by taking our punishment, we are then able to have our relationship with God restored. That's what we were designed for, relationship with God, unity with God. That's how we were created and what we rebelled against. 
but the punishment for that rebellion has actually been taken by somebody else. And so we can have that unity with God restored. And then from flowing out from that unity with God comes all the other kinds of unity that I'm talking about. But first and foremost, it's unity with God through Jesus Christ. That's how unity is possible. We live in Christ. That's why the phrase in Christ will turn up again and again in Philippians. We live in that way. It's not uh, immediate, this unity that I've been talking about. It's an ongoing process. It's almost like we had a heart of stone and we've been given a heart of flesh instead. And that's pumping blood around our body. But it will actually only be on the final day when all of the dust that that stone heart was pumping around our body is finally flushed out. It's an ongoing process, but what has happened is that heart transplant. And that's what the fruit of righteousness is. It's that. It's the ongoing work of the Spirit transforming us thanks to the salvation that was made possible through Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus is working in us all the time, making us pure and blameless, which means that our unity should only increase. Because if we're being transformed daily and becoming more like Christ, then all the aspects of who Christ is will also increase every day. So that's what we should look to in the new year, is to, to be transformed daily, to, to seek more of Christ every day, because that's where we find the fruit of righteousness. That's what is the excellent thing we should be approving. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, then I would actually love you to just come and talk to me about this at the end. Because what I've been talking about, anyone in this room who knows Jesus will tell you how powerful and how important it is. And so it's something that, and, and you can come in and experience all of that for yourself. But for us Christians, look at how Paul ends this introduction. He says, it's to the glory and praise of God. What an incredible thing Jesus is doing in us. What a mighty thing Jesus is doing through the church. And he's bringing us together. He's filling us with love. He's sending us out on mission. He's transforming us all the time. And he is uniting us. And that is for the glory and praise of God. We've got to turn it all back to him. None of this is about us. It is all about God. And so we're going to end here, actually, just by singing a hymn of praise about how great God is. Because it is, that, that is the aim of it. That is the end point of it. Jesus makes it all possible. And so in return, we turn our praise to God and we glorify him for everything that he's done.